Welcome to Set on Sunday, a podcast by Kelleville Anglican where we talk about what was said on Sunday or even what we didn't have time to say on Sunday. We are passionate about being deep in the Word of God and doing life together in community. So thanks for letting us into your week as we learn more about Jesus together. Here's today's episode. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Set on Sunday podcast. This is our very first episode for 2024. My name's Beck and I'll be hosting the podcast today. And a lot happened over the break. We had Christmas and New Year's, several babies were born, I believe, and we have a new staff member who's actually joining us today. Hello. Hello, Andrew. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. And uh, what's your role at Kellyville Anglican? Uh, it's a few things. So um, in particular, I'm responsible for the 8.30 congregation and making sure uh, they're being pastored. Um, it's making sure that as a church, we're deep in the word, we're engaging deeply with God's word uh, and helping us to be serving one another. So thinking about all the, um, the, the various ministries that happen at church and resourcing those. Yeah. Okay. And um, as regards the podcast? I am responsible for the podcast, wow. making sure it happens, keeping you in line back. No. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I, I okay. think it's more the other way around, but yes, yes. I'm, we'll I'm kind of, uh, it, it fits in that deep in the word space. So mm-hmm. making sure this happens, I'll be here most weeks. Yeah. Excellent. Well, welcome to your very first podcast yeah, episode. It's great to be here. Um, and joining us at the old favorites, uh, we got Dave. Welcome, Dave. I'll take the old and James can <laughs> James take the favourite. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. But it's 2024. Mm-hmm. I'm it sort is. of not quite ready for it. Like I feel a, like it's been 2024 for ages. Do you? <laughs> yes. Wow. School holidays. Yeah. I just think the 2020s, whatever, whatever they're called, yeah. like just, I don't know. I just remember when it was like the year 2000, the Olympics yeah. were here. And all right, anyway, I still feel like that was yesterday. <laughs> James. I'm looking at James. James is looking at me. You've really taken the old, old one, yeah. mate. Totally. You re- oh, hundred percent. I wasn't even in this country when that happened. So <laughs> I was still living in, in New Zealand. 2000. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Olympics don't mean much to me. I never got to experience the fun the and Olympics fanfare didn't of it all. Mean much to me because I don't really like sport. Oh. Do sport, yeah. So I just loved that the traffic was really good. Going to work. Anyway, we have a lot to get through today. So let's stop <laughs> reminiscing about the early 21st century um, and get into it. We have a bumper episode today because we are covering, um, well, basically four sermons, except one of the sermons had no questions. So that'll be a quick one. Um, over our summer series, which was anchored in confidence. Um, so Nathan preached um, on the 7th of January, but we had no questions from that. So we've given him a pass for today. And we're going to move straight into Dave's sermon from the 14th of January, Cast Your Minds Back. Dave, what did you talk about? Yes, uh, we camped in 1 John uh, and we talked about sin and forgiveness. Uh, and really my talk was very simple uh, in that we are all sinners and I sort of laboured that point to help us understand that that's exactly, you know, our state of play, uh, that we've hurt and offended God um, and therefore we all need forgiveness from God. Uh, and we saw that uh, that's what God does by sending Jesus and we sort of focused in on um, chapter 2 verse 1. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins and unpack those things. Mm. Uh, so that was the guts of the talk. Mm-hmm. And so that was how we can be anchored in confidence. Yeah. Well, and it was the confidence was forgiveness is there. Like it's real. Jesus has done everything for us. Mm. Uh, when it comes to forgiveness, you can have no doubt uh, that forgiveness is real. Mm. Yeah, that's really exciting. Our first question um, is about sin, actually. 
and short and sweet. What is sin? Yeah. It's really good to go back and just get those basics right mm-hmm. uh, because you, you can, we throw around the word sin quite regularly. So it's good to try and get as concise as we can. Mm. Uh, so I, I would say sin uh, is putting ourselves in the place of God. Uh, so putting ourselves first in all things rather than God. So if you think of like the, the finishers podium and you have, you know, one, two and three, uh, it's, it's putting ourselves in that number one spot. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's the, or it's the eye in the middle, sin. Um, mm. uh, so that's the other way, easy way to remember it. Um, and so at its very basic level, that's what it is. And uh, then there's lots of consequences of what that looks like in mm. our lives. But you guys, yeah. When I taught SRE, um, we would teach it as when we live our way instead of God's way. So mm-hmm. it's probably the a very simplistic way as well. But yeah, that's that's what it is when we put ourselves first before God. So mm. make ourselves Lord of our own lives instead of Him. Mm. Yeah. yeah, putting God's crown on our heads. We're trying to. Yes, mm. yes. Autonomy is the other word, but it's not a popular word. Like it's not a word we use in no. regular. But it's a I, lovely word. But I do think it's very descriptive. Like mm. you know. Um, uh, which is two two words like auto and normal self law like mm. we we created ourselves mm-hmm. we could go on but that's probably let's enough. move on um, more about sin though um, what does it mean to sin against another person is sin not turning away from God and what He has commanded yes sin is turning away from God and what He has commanded um, uh, and what God has commanded us is. To love God and love others. Mm. Uh, very, very simply, that sums up uh, the law. And so, um, you know, it's uh, we got to remember there's, uh, you know, uh, horizontal and vertical aspects when it comes you know, to sort of how we live our lives and what sin looks like. And there's that vertical aspect where we ignore God. And there's the horizontal in terms of, you know, how we treat one another and what loving others looks like. Mm. Uh, so, yes, you can sin against another person. Um, you know, in all sorts of ways, you know, betraying trust, um, gossip, um, you know, all, all those sort of aspects uh, with our words, actions. Uh, so, yeah, there's all sorts of different ways we can sin against the other, another person and it all, it all relates. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jesus himself in Luke says, when your brother sins against you. So clearly he's comfortable with saying that yeah. you can sin against another person, um, but... Because uh, Christ's command is that you treat others the way you would like to be treated, every time you sin against another person, you are violating God's will. So we can mm-hmm. say that the essence of sin is is a wrong against God. Um, some sin also wrongs other people and is against other people. And I think that's there to increase our view of the seriousness of it. Yeah. Mm. In, in what way? Uh, in, in the sense that... Um, the, the Bible does not downplay sin in any sense. Um, so it has, it has consequences all over the place. Um, that affect other people as well at times. Yeah. yeah. And the seriousness of it being an affront against God as mm. well as mm. the creator. And Yeah. I mean, to, to illustrate, um, Psalm 51, mm. you know, uh, David's actions against Bathsheba and Uriah. Uh, you know, there's a, a grave sin, you know, commits adultery, um, gets Uriah killed. Psalm 51 says, against you, you only have I sinned. Mm. You're thinking, hang on. <laughs> Surely there's, you know, like they, they the uh, writers of, of the Bible keep joining these two things uh, together. Yeah, that's right. So it's not one or the other. Yes. There's the truth is found in combining the two. Mm. Yeah. Okay, our next question. 
also about sin. Um, As 1 John says, we are not without sin and we will continue to sin. But when we do so, we can confess our sins and God will forgive us on account of Jesus. Then what does it mean for a person to walk in light and not darkness? What is walking in darkness? Yeah, and this picks up some of the language that 1 John uses around light and darkness. Uh, And uh, 1 John is such a a book of strong contrasts. Uh, You either walk in the light or you walk in the darkness. There's no you're walking in the grey zone. Um, or in the neutral zone, Mm. Uh, John has no concept for that. Uh, And so walking in the light is really, you know, you you are someone who is a Christian, you know, the the light of of God has has shone upon you um, and walking in the darkness is living a life of sin. Uh, And because of the way in which uh, John speaks of these just realities, he goes, well, you're either there or you're there. Um, But... He also has these little moments of concession along the way. You know, so he's like, um, even in the passage we looked up, um, uh, where he says, I write this to you so that you will not sin, chapter 2, verse 1. He's like, well, okay, that's, you know, um, if you're walking in the light, you know, you're not to sin. But then he says, but if anyone does sin. So he has this sort of concession in there Mm. that sort of walks towards saying, hey, look how amazing Jesus is, so that you can walk in the light. Um, and so it's sort of hard for our sort of, you know, experiential ears where we continually struggle with sin and feel like, oh, perhaps I'm just walking in the darkness continually, Mm. uh, to sort of have that confidence that we are actually walking in the light. But part of what I was sort of hoping uh, we would understand is because of the forgiveness we've got, we walk in the light. Like as Christians, we are walking in the light, Mm. uh, because of what Jesus has done for us. And one John just continually sort of says, stay away from the darkness. So Mm. be afraid of the dark. It's biblical. Okay. Yeah, good. Yeah, we'll be (laughs) wrestling with some of those tensions as we continue to talk about assurance in our podcast today. So I think that will come up again later. But it is really interesting, this tension between who we are and what we still struggle with as Christians. Um, hmm. Okay, so our next question um, is about parenting. Mm. You ready for this one, Dave? Let's go. (laughs) Dave, you made the comment that when it comes to parenting, something along the lines that we can lean toward medication and appeasement as opposed to discipline. What is the best advice you can give to discipline in a godly manner and raise kids who who seek to serve and follow Jesus? Yeah, so in this section here, what I was really trying to help us understand is the pervasiveness of sin. Mm. And so... Uh, in our lives, in the lives of kids, in the lives of, you know, like, you know, education, psychology, like we need to acknowledge that sin is a real thing uh, and each of us, you know, that's plagued our lives. And I think what I was trying to do, perhaps clumsily uh, at points, was to really help people go, we need to acknowledge that. And when you don't acknowledge it and you take it away from a particular realm, you are left, I think, slightly deficient in understanding humanity Uh, and when you don't understand humanity and some of the cause and root problems, the solution looks slightly skewed. And so, yeah, I talked about parenting, like, and our own kids. Do we actually acknowledge that our kids are sinful? Um, You know, and, and, you know, there's the sort of aspect of, well, they empiric evidence is you don't need a lot of convincing, do you? 
Um, but yet there's still an element where uh, sometimes we do just sort of go, ah, look, you know, and that appeasement. Look, and the medication one maybe a slight overstatement, but you know, it it, um, it, it got a reaction. Um, uh, because there is a place for medication. Mm. Uh, there are kids who need help uh, to sort of uh, help with emotions and, you know, uh, coping with things like anxiety, ADHD, uh, autism, those things. So I don't want – don't, don't hear me knocking those things. Mm. But what I was really pushing for is do you acknowledge that your kids are sinful? Mm. Uh, and therefore it does, you know, play into the realms of discipline and, you know, boundaries. Uh, you don't just let your kids – you know, do whatever. Um, none of us do that. Um, so that's the context. And in terms of the question, mm-hmm. um, the best advice <clears throat> you can give, um, uh, there's many things. <laughs> like um, I haven't got a, a one line, here's my best advice. Every kid is different. You need to parent your kid um, uh, because that's, you know, they, they need you. But I think... The sort of principle of actually having some aspect of discipline to, that goes around and uh, um, so that, you know, there, there are boundaries that, you know, you can, you can have in there is probably the best thing, you know, that we can do. It's how uh, God as our father treats us mm. as mm. children. But these guys might have better wisdom. Yeah, I don't have anything profound to add to that other than just discipline something you have to do like it's something encouraged in the scriptures it's something good something where we're given more specific instructions on at times to do it in a way that doesn't exacerbate or is overly harsh with your children but it, it's something you you work at that you train at something you have to decide I, i'm gonna i'm gonna do this for the for the sake of my children in a way that is loving and gracious uh and you know as as many different children as there are in the world there are different right approaches to discipline um now that I've had two seconds to have a think, um, <laughs> uh, don't discipline your kids with uh, threatening them to not go to church things. Like it's, it's it raise kids who seek to serve and follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, don't withhold youth group. Don't withhold kids church Christian fellowship to say you can't go if you do this. Uh, I think that's uh, that's not the sort of discipline you want. You want to encourage. And help those things and say this is mm. a really good thing. So don't use those sorts of things. In fact, um, a sinful child needs to engage yeah, with God's community. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Mm. Yeah, look, I think it's a big question. Literally many, many thousands of books have been written on the subject. Um, are there any resources that you've, parenting resources that you've I, connected with? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Paul Tripp's book on Me parenting. Me too. Yep, yes. Really, really excellent. Just, I mean, everything Tripp writes just fills up your heart in the biggest way possible. Yeah, so much but he's, he's very practical on, um, on, on how to parent well, yeah, in a Christ-like way. So that's my pick. Yeah, it's called parenting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it's easy to find. Yeah, Anglicare have some resources. Um, I'll see if I can dig them out. But they've come and run parenting courses at various churches I've been at. Um, they've been really, really helpful uh, just in terms of helping, more helping your kids uh, understand their emotions and you as a parent understanding yours Yes. Uh, in terms of how you respond in particular certain circumstances and situations. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really, really helpful. Yeah. I actually wish I'd read Paul Tripp's parenting book when my kids were littler. 
Um, I read it, started reading it about well, probably three or four years ago and I'm like, oh, my gosh, so, so many wasted <laughs> opportunities because um, he's really big on teaching grace and helping kids understand their own sinfulness but then the grace that comes um, from what Jesus has done for us. There's a line from it that's really that affects me all the time. Uh, he, he tells stories about how just every day he, he tries to find moments with his kids to talk to them about the wonder and the awesomeness and the glory of God's world. And every now and then that little line just goes through my head, what would Paul Tripp do right now? Yeah, he'd, take, he'd turn this into a moment to talk about, isn't God's world amazing? Mm, so I love that. It, it affects me, yeah, in mm. a good way. Mm. Yeah, so look out for that one. All right, our next question is about forgiveness. Um, and the question acknowledges forgiveness is a massive and complex topic with much processing needed to approach it well, particularly when emotion and hurt so often come into it. I understand we are called to radical forgiveness as we mirror Christ in our world, but wondering if you could help in the area of person-to-person forgiveness. For this to happen well, does the other party need to be ready to come to the table and hear our forgiveness? Is forgiveness not achieved if they aren't ready for this to happen, but you still forgive them in yourself? I guess what it comes back to, is forgiveness in this space conditional or unconditional? Because I can see and I've heard points on both sides. Yeah, this gets uh, a little too... um, Some of the heart behind, um, you know, forgiveness in the way God's treated us. Um, You know, while we were still sinners, Christ... Uh, you know, God sent Jesus into the world. Um, and, you know, we're, we're called to forgive others. You know, we say in the Lord's Prayer, you know, as, as God's forgiven us, let's forgive one another. And so, it, and it is, uh, I really appreciate the um, the call here to radical forgiveness uh, because it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, if, if you weren't a Christian, you'd hold way more grudges, right? Like, you know, be, you'd... you'd very comfortable let bitterness just dwell and you know live in your heart um you know what's what's the impetus uh and so i think you know christ calls us to to live differently as as christians based on on what he has done and in the area of person to person forgiveness and especially when there is deep hurt um and emotions run deep uh what does that actually look like um and so uh you know when we did this question or an aspect of it on the, the actual day, we spoke a little bit about uh, forgiveness, um, repentance and, and reconciliation. And so I think there are, in the ideal world, you know, like if um, uh, you'd want some repentance from the person who has done wrong to say, yeah. hey, like I've overstepped, you know, I, I've, I, this is what I've done. I recognise that that's, that's brought, you know, hurt upon you. Um, not wanting to minimise the hurt in any way, owning responsibility for your actions, uh, mm-hmm. all those things, and asking the other person to, to bring about forgiveness uh, so that the relationship could come to some form of reconciliation. Um, that's your ideal, right? Mm. That, that, that would be what you go, wow, amazing. Like, and, and there's stories of that that are out there that are just enormously powerful. Um, but living this side of hef- heaven... That's not always going to be the case. Uh, you are going to have situations where someone may hurt you uh, and then completely fall out of your life, you know, whether it's a, a partner, um, you know, for whatever reason, 
uh, divorces happen, you know, those sorts of situations um, where you're never going to hear that person come and say they're sorry. Mm. What do you do in those situations? Uh, how do you sort of move forward? Uh, and so I think there is aspects where you as that person who's been wronged uh, can forgive the other person. I think they talk about it here, you know, forgive them in yourself, which I still think is a very powerful thing to do um, so that you can move on uh, but you're never going to get the repentance and you're never going to get the reconciliation. And I think that's appropriate. And, um, and, a, and a really helpful thing to do mm. um, that does essentially, you know, lighten the load and the, um, the, the, the sort of heavy burden that lays upon you at that point. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, I think there's aspects where you don't have to have the other person, you know, the other party come to the table to hear forgiveness. Um, yeah, so I don't think forgiveness is always... Um, conditional, if that makes sense. So that's mm. a bit of a waffle. Mm. But yeah. reconciliation is conditional. Yes. Mm. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 For reconciliation to happen, you need, you know, yeah, you need some conditions to be met. Mm. Yeah. I think the key in the question is for forgiveness to happen well. Um, does the other person have to come to the table, acknowledge they're wrong, for it to happen as well as it can? <laughs> yes, they do. You won't have that fully beautiful. Uh, fully formed kind of forgiving experience that happens when when both sides are involved in that. But I do think the call of the scriptures is, I mean, we see it in the example of Christ to, to love our enemies, to bless those who curse us, to pray for those who abuse us. Um, that That is radical. And you can only do that if you can really trust that God is going to right all the wrongs of our human brokenness in the end, that we can entrust retaliation. Well, retaliation is not the right word. Trust uh, that the writing of wrongs, justice, yes, yeah. that's what yeah. we're looking for. We can, we can really trust ultimate justice to him. Uh, and with that burden taken off us, uh, forgiveness is possible even when other people don't think they've hurt us. Mm. It's costly too, right? Um, uh, the giving up of vengeance, justice, or even hand, just handing that to God, uh, there's a cost that comes in that, mm. you know, to go... <laughs> As much as I want to take this into my own hands and deal with it, um, I, there's a and there's a cost that comes with it. That I think ultimately we see Jesus and His example and what He's done in order to bring forgiveness for us. Um, I think any point along the line where you need to ask for forgiveness, there's cost, and I just think that sacrificial element you got we got to keep that front and center as well. Yeah, and I think we've talked about on the podcast in the. In the case of like abuse or someone in a criminal who's um, had yeah. a criminal offence against you, it is right and proper um, to pursue justice on earth as well. But knowing that God will ultimately bring like even better justice yeah. mm. um, than what our what our systems can. Yeah, absolutely. And and the process around forgiveness is never about minimising the pain that's been caused. Mm. And I, you know, you, you never want to go, oh, like it wasn't that bad. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it yeah. is that yeah. bad yeah. Yeah. and you've got to go, that's horrible. Um, you know, and, and so forgiveness is never about going, it didn't really matter. That's not forgiveness. Mm. Forgiveness is about acknowledging the genuine hurt and mm. sometimes the hurt is significant. Mm. Um, and I, I don't want people to feel like, the, that forgiveness process minimises that in any way. Not at all. Yeah, that's really important. 
Um, all right. Well, that wraps up um, Dave's questions. Um, so <laughs> moving on to <laughs> the following week, Andrew, you brought a sermon to us. What did you talk about? Uh, I was talking about the topic of guidance. So how does God guide us in our day-to-day life? The way I structured things in the end, um, because because we've had this overarching framework of assurance and confidence, um, I wanted to think particularly about that. So I, I came with four words of assurance for us. The first was that there are some parts of God's will, his guidance, that we're just not meant to know. Mm-hmm. And that's reassuring because it means we can stop worrying about trying to figure out the future yep. and we can trust that God holds the future. Second word of assurance was that there are parts of God's will that he does want us to know and he's told them to us very clearly. Uh, and that's reassuring because it means we don't have to go about our lives searching for clues about what God wants to do. He doesn't hide his will from us. He tells it to us clearly. Uh, third word of assurance was that God calls us and he frees us to make big decisions in our life. Uh, he gives us that ability. And that's reassuring because it means I can get the right expectations about how much I should expect some form of special, direct, supernatural guidance from God. Mm. And my fourth word of assurance was that God gives us wisdom. That is a promise of his. And that's reassuring because it means I know I, I have before me, if I'm willing to pick them up and use them, the tools that, that I need to make godly decisions, mm. uh, the, the scriptures, wise counsel and, and prayer. I think, that, I think that's what I spoke about. Great. Well, someone has said, thank you for breaking down today's talk so clearly. Um, indeed, it does sound very clear what you just said. Um, nevertheless, we do have some questions. Um, so our first question is, the Bible is big. Where is a good place to start when seeking God's guidance? Yeah, where's a good place to start? I think there's there's two parts to this answer. And and the first part is the, um, the more profound, foundational, I, I would say more wonderful part of the answer. Um, but it's also the tougher pill to swallow. The second part of the answer is a little more uh, pragmatic when it comes to approaching particular topics and questions. So the first, where, where do you start? You read your Bible every day. Now, I know that sounds so cliche and it sounds so trite, but God's word cannot guide us in our day-to-day decisions if we don't know what it says. Mm. And so the Bible, you know, the Bible is not a reference book. There's no chapter I can turn to about the housing crisis in Sydney in the 21st century and what I should do in that. Um, No, God wants you to, God wants you to soak in his word to the point where his thoughts become your thoughts, where the things he loves become the things that you love. One of the clearest verses we have in the scriptures about how we discern God's will is in Romans 12. There it says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you'll learn to know God's will for you. You notice how God's will comes to you there. It is by this internal transformation and renewal. Mm. That is, that, there's, there's no shortcuts to yeah. that kind of thing. Um, God wants us to develop a taste for godliness, a, a mature instinct for wisdom in our lives that's going to affect our decisions all the time. So that's how the scriptures, you know, inform our decisions. That's where you start. However, there are some times where a, a particular issue comes across your desk, a particular decision in life where you think, I don't really know what the Bible says on that topic. Um, that's when you need good trust Christian resources that are going to help you find those answers. So, uh, I mean, I think if you were going to make one purchase for to, to have on your shelf that's going to help you in this space, I'd say a good study Bible with a good topical index. I can make further recommendations there, but I think I think that's kind of a good place if you kind of don't have anything to help you out there. Um, and if you're if you're at a stage in your Christian journey, um, perhaps you are newer to the faith where you just don't have that 
breadth of knowledge of the scriptures that means you you can call to mind those things that's okay that's that's good and there's there's a, a a lifetime of learning ahead of you which is fantastic but if that's you then you really need mature other christians who you can ask your questions to they're going to be able to point you to the answers in the scripture um you know as as a pastor one of the best emails i can ever mm-hmm. receive is can you recommend a resource on this for me um the, my inbox is always open to those kinds of questions that reveals a heart of wanting to know what the scriptures say. Um, so, yeah, send me those questions if you've got particular things you're searching for. Hmm. Anyway, hope that's helpful. What's your inbox closed to? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, how do we get to him? Well, it's andrew at ka.church. Oh, <laughs> is that my email? Okay. Yes. I'll, yeah, just I'll in case you want that. Yeah. We, we've had three changes over the last three years, so it's, it's probably worth putting it out andrew there. Andrew at ka.church. Yeah. Right. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> Very good. You're learning all sorts of things today, Andrew. <laughs> that's right. Um, uh, probably, is, um, which is a good follow-on from that question, is the role of the Holy Spirit then. Mm. Um, can yeah. you please expand more on the role of the Holy Spirit in leading and guiding God's people, both individually and corporately? Yeah, sure. So um, uh, we see in the scriptures examples of the Spirit leading people. So Jesus himself is led by the Spirit into the wilderness early on in his uh, ministry. We're not told what that experience was like. Uh, did, did he hear a voice? Um, Did he experience some inner, undeniably God-given compulsion? Was it a vision he experienced while he was sleeping the night before? We're actually not told how Mm -hmm. the Spirit led him at that point. We get some clearer examples when we turn to the book of Acts and we see the early church in operation. That's where the most profound and dramatic examples of this take place. So uh, Philip is told to go and talk to someone uh, by an angel initially. But then a few verses later, the Spirit says to Philip, go and join this particular chariot. Um, So here, and in a a couple of other places in Acts, not all over the place, but in a few places, the Spirit simply says things to the apostles. Um, A bit like he heard that angel, he hears the Spirit. Now, that kind of guidance, even within the book of Acts, is extraordinary. Hmm. Um, Now, I I do not for a second deny that God acts in that way in our world today. I said more about that in my sermon. Uh, He can and he does, and we pray that he would continue to do so. Um, When we turn to the letters the instructions of the apostles to the churches. Um, I uh, j- Just yesterday, because I was thinking, what, what does the Bible say on this topic? I did a quick scan. I read every verse in the New Testament with the word spirit in it. When you turn to the letters, I don't see any place where we are promised or given instructions even that is related to finding that kind of direct guidance. So this, the spirit does many things in the scriptures, Um gives us love, gives us fervent faith, sanctification, power, understanding, gifts to serve the church, unites us. Um, I see two places where the Spirit is said to guide us. Uh, One is in John's Gospel, in chapter 16. Jesus says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So the Spirit leads us to the truth about Jesus. Mm. Um, The second, which is really not a verse, it's four chapters, (laughs) is at the start of the book of Hebrews, um, where where we see... um, uh, the writer of that letter at one point quotes the book of Psalms and it doesn't say, as the psalmist wrote, it says, as the Holy Spirit says, mm. and then quotes the Bible. Mm. And so we hear the voice of God, we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, uh, who, who, who we're told is the, uh, the, the word, in the word of God. The word of God is the sword of the spirit, we're told elsewhere. Uh, and so that is, I think, the, the, the main promised way that we are told the spirit will guide us. Um, spirit and scripture are not separated things at any point in the scriptures. In fact, they are so 
entwined. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, theologically to divide word and spirit is to do something that will lead you genuinely towards problems, mm. especially when it comes to guidance. Uh, you, they need to go together. And I think uh, where mistakes have been made in the past is where uh, you've sort of severed the umbilical cord between them. Mm. Um, and uh, you, you find yourself in all sorts of you know, uh, awkward situations. Um, but, you know, it, and I think, you know, these two questions here, you know, the, the Bible, where do we start and what's the role of the Holy Spirit? Um, you, you can't devoid those two things uh, together. Uh, and it's interesting that when Jesus talks about what the role of the Spirit will be once he goes, like in, in places like John 16, um, it's to convict the, the world that is wrong. <laughs> Mm. On these things, like the, the the spirit will prompt and help you understand in terms of what sin is, what judgment is, the place of the world, mm. um, and uh, they're they're good and wonderful aspects of guidance that come. But we also don't know what sin is unless we understand the scriptures. Mm. Uh, and so there, you know, the, there's that conviction piece the spirit does to go. The words in the Bible are true. Like mm. there's that heart piece for us. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, and that really resonates with God's will for our life being that we would walk with Jesus and mm. be obedient to him and that's the bit of God's will that's pretty clear yeah, in yeah, Scripture. Exactly. Um, but our next questions are more about, um, I guess, like making decisions about things or asking God pr for provision. Um, sometimes when we pray about future decisions and provision, we pray if it is your will. Should we pray like this or should we be more bold? Yeah, I, I get what this question is saying. It does feel like if we put a big fat if in our prayers, mm. that, that does seem to detract from the confidence of our statement, our trust that God will answer our prayers. Um, but I think actually there's a false choice here. So um, should we pray big, bold, confident prayers for God to act supernaturally in our world? Absolutely. And I think sometimes our prayers do tend to be too small. Um, at the same time, should we pray if it is your will in our prayers, I see absolutely no problem with that either. Um, the Bible often uses the, the phrase, if the Lord permits, God willing, depending on your translation. Uh, Paul hopes to see the, the Corinthian church, if the Lord permits, same with the Ephesian church when he leaves them. Um, James says, as you make plans for the, the future, you should be less self-confident in, in your planning uh, and say, if the Lord wills, we will go and do this or that. So especially when it comes to future plans and decisions, that kind of language is encouraged in the Bible. Um, those aren't necessarily prayers, uh, so it's not clearly modelled for us, that, that sort of language in a prayer, except in the prayer of Jesus, who yeah. himself says, if it is your will to the Father. And so if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Um, and it can be hard to pray if it's your will, because if you really want something... I know when I was about to have my surgery, I really wanted to be able to walk afterwards. And so yeah, yeah. I actually stopped praying. This is, I don't recommend this, yeah. but that's what I did because I couldn't pray if it's your will for this surgery to be successful and that I could right. walk. I found it so hard to pray that. So I've talked before on the podcast, I relied on the prayers of God's people to pray the prayers for mm. me that I couldn't pray. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I resonate with this question as well, but it is not not bold to add a yeah. If it's your will, it's actually expressing a trust in God that Absolutely. is, um, yeah, at our core. When it comes, particularly when it comes to sickness and healing, I think this this question is pertinent, and I've always been very affected by um, 
the example of Matt Chandler who mm. had a serious brain tumour and he says the way he prayed was uh, exactly like um, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego before they were thrown into the furnace. Um, they say, um, we know that our God is able to save us from this and we trust that he will and even if he doesn't, we won't stop trusting him. Mm. There, yeah, There is, I think, the model of belief God can, tr- trusting confidently that he will while acknowledging that it may not be his will to do so. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right, next question. Would you go so far as to say that whatever decision ends up being made is the correct God-willed decision, looking through a lens of the ever-difficult-to-understand predestination, that is? Right, first podcast, and I get a question about predestination. <laughs> Welcome. Is, yeah, every, every podcast from now on, I bet. Um, the, I think the key word in that question here is correct. What do we mean by the correct decision? Uh, did Judas make the correct decision when he chose greed uh, and backstabbing betrayal? No, that was a morally wrong thing to do, a very terrible thing to do. Um, and at several moments in the scripture, the, the sovereign will of God and the morally responsible actions of people are held up side by side. Um, now, God doesn't make the decisions for me just because he foreknows Um should I decide to punch Dave in the face right now? That would be against God's moral will. Um, <laughs> it's a bad career. To, I'm just going to move to the other <laughs> end of the table. <laughs> but at the same time, God foreknows all things. Um, and, and as the question says, he has elected some to salvation. Um, so even in the moments where I disobey God's moral will, I'm not stepping outside of his broader sovereign plans. Hmm. Um, now, we're getting into the weeds of philosophy at this point. I believe in a thing called compatibilism. That's not a biblical term. That's a philosophical term. It says that we have freedom in our decisions to choose what we want to do uh, and we do what we want to do. Um, so in that sense, actually, I, I wouldn't agree with the original statement in the question. I think God foreknows my life and his plan for my life is that I love him and I obey him, I live for him, and and after that, I do what I like, I make the decisions I make, uh, and, and often the decisions that seem very big and significant to me are actually in the grand scheme of things, not, not as big as I think they are. Mm. If someone was going to uh, go, oh, that compatibilism thing, <laughs> what's that? Where do I read? Mm. Where, where's – do they just email you at andrew at ka.church and say, hit me up with a resource? That's or, right, <laughs> and it will join the list of 100 emails I expect after this podcast. Um, uh, no, where do they go? Because it's a big, big term, big yeah, topic. Yeah, it is. My the, the resource that helped me most on this um, when I was wrestling with it, particularly as a teenager, uh, was Don Carson's book on prayer of all the places. Mm. Um, it's just been retitled. It used to be called A Call to Spiritual Reformation. Uh, it's now got a new title. I can't remember what it is. Um, but if you look up Don Carson book on prayer, chuck that into Google and you'll find it. It might be just called The Prayers of Paul or something like that now. Um, and I remember it's chapter eight in the original edition where he tackles this very question. It talks about sovereignty and free will. Um, there, there are other good resources. but Praying that's with top- Paul. Praying with Paul. Yeah, okay. I was close. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he, he does a great job of, of handling that mystery of how those two mm. things interact. Yeah. Mm, that's helpful. 
like I said, at the end of the day, you can't thwart God's plan. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you've got freedom to make yeah. decisions um, within being obedient to him. Mm. Um, all right. Um, another profound question, actually. Mm. Um, is it God's will that I would be happy in life instead of being depressed or unhappy? Mm. Thank you for that question. It's so to the point and, um, yeah, I, I, I feel the the depth of that question. Um, like any loving father, God grieves alongside his children when they suffer. That is unlike other religions where gods are distant and impersonal. The God of the Bible, the one true God, is one that uh, weeps alongside those who are, uh, are weeping at the grave of their deceased brother of Lazarus. Um, and that is just a wonderful, comforting truth that God cares about our pain, cares about our sadness. Um, God in the Bible sits asymmetrically behind good and evil. Um, and I'm not saying that this is an easy thing to wrap our heads around, but God permits evil in our world. And that includes the sickness that afflicts our minds. It, it includes mental illness. Um, who is responsible for that evil? Well, rebellious humans and the influence of Satan are responsible for that evil. So in that sense, it is not God's will that those things take place. Um, God's intention, his will is to heal those things, uh, whether that happens in this life or in the next. Um, I think an example that has always helped me is the example of Paul, who himself suffered some significant affliction. It seems some kind of sickness or pain or something in his body that in he, he says in for extended periods of time in a concerted way, he asked God to take that away from him. Um, and Paul says God's response to him was this, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Um, God is able to bring good out of even our, our deepest hardships. And so when the, the most terrible things happen in life, God has not lost control. That's the comfort of the scriptures. Um, now, I, I know the, the real effect of depression, having seen it affect those that are close to me, uh, just how insidious it is. Um, one author, um, Don Carson, we we're just talking about him. He says, I'm sure of this. It is in the midst of distress, of suffering, of tears, of weakness, of disease. That is where we learn the confession that God is truly all powerful. That is when it holds true practical meaning for us as we trust in him alone. Um, yeah. Mm, yeah, it's really helpful. There's a, um, there's also a future aspect to this, mm. which you can answer the question from, you know, and through the lens of uh, eternity. Because this, this is a here and now, and I, don't, I don't, again, don't want to uh, play down the, um, uh, the, the things that Andrew is saying about the insidious nature mm. of depression, but I, I could answer this question on, in one way with, yes, God's will is for you to be happy. Mm. Um, and in enjoying him uh, in without the presence of sin. Uh, mm. It's just not now. Yeah. It's heaven. Yeah, yeah. Um, where sin's not there. Like, you know, the, the things that, um, you know, and that, that's that's one of the glories and beauties of heaven, right, mm. is yes, yeah, Jesus is there and we, we live in, you know, the, the, the glow of his light uh, in, in heaven where we have the inability to sin. Mm. Uh, and that's a joyous thing. 
Mm. But we've, yeah, this side of heaven's yes, a different thank you, situation. Dave. That, that has to be the final cap on the answer. Yeah, thanks. Mm. Great. Okay, last question for mm, you, Andrew. Here we go. Thank you for your talk on guidance. I found it very helpful. My question is about our gifts and talents and what part they should take in guiding us. Also, if someone is doing a ministry that is causing anxiety, stress, sleepless nights, etc., should they consider that this is not for them or should they just suck it up and keep going in God's strength? I hope that makes sense. It sure does. So two questions here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one, um, should gifts and talents be part of our decision-making, guiding us? Absolutely. Um, if you are figuring out how should I serve at church, then the question of your abilities is going to be a, a core part of how you answer that question. So yes is my answer to the first question. Second question, um, if you're experiencing experiencing anxiety, stress, sleepless nights, is that a reason to consider that a ministry is not for you? Um, this, this question takes wisdom. It really does. I, I can think of many great heroes of the faith, reading their biographies, hearing about their anxieties and sleepless nights and stresses. And boy, am I thankful that they endured through those and stuck with their ministries um, with, with great God-honoring fruit. Um, at the same time, I know people who, who have been truly and utterly burnt out and the wise, godly decision for them is to step out of ministry, to, to reconsider and to make the decision to, to not continue. Mm-hmm. And so in every case, we have to find balance between those two things. Um, we're told that Paul poured himself out for the ministry that he conducted. Uh, and, and I think he would... This, this might be a little controversial. I think Paul would have some critiques of some of the modern attitudes we have towards self-care. Mm-hmm. Um, now, don't, don't mishear me. I, <laughs> I think that resilience and self-care are very important. Burnout is real. It is problematic. Um, we, we just have to apply. We, we have to make sure that we're not overindulging those things mm-hmm. uh, and forgetting that there are some times where pushing yourself, um, enduring some stress, burning the candle at both ends occasionally uh, is is a godly thing to do. When, that's where the wisdom comes in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think that's a really, really helpful response. Um, like I, I read that question and go, uh, if anxiety, stress and sleepless nights, um, you know, should I drop out, then I'm out. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was about to say I wouldn't have preached on Sunday. <laughs> And so I, I just appreciate the balance yeah. in terms of the answer you gave there mm. because um, they, they come partly, partly you've, I feel the responsibility mm. Uh, mm. in terms of, um, you know, caring for the flock. And that's what you sign up for. The mm. promises you make when you become a, a presbyter, a, a senior minister are substantial. And I, I take those really quite seriously. Um, uh, but, in, you know, in terms of gifts and talents and guiding and this is where God's got me, like I'm like, well... You had sleepless night and, you know, text to James at, you know, <laughs> late at night to say, mate, what, you know, what's going on with this? Or, you know, like they're, they're, that's sort of part of yeah. part of it. But, you know, you need some self-care too. Anyway, I'm just reiterating what Andrew's already said, so. Yeah, no, I, I complete, completely agree. Um, you know, stressing preaches me out, but that's because I take the responsibility um, quite seriously and the opportunity that I have to... Um, proclaim God's word and my desire to be faithful to it. Uh, and so, you know, in those moments, you know, last week's a bit of a write-off for me. Um, you know, I was saying to Dave, 
probably spend about 20 hours on my head and I write it in about four. Um, but it's those hours of like stressing over what am I going to say? Mm. Is that right? Is it not? Is that going to be helpful? How do I put this all down into something that's going to help people um, continue in, the, in their walk? And so, yeah, I think obviously there's that balance between, you know, you go through those periods of leading up to something pretty significant um, and that causes you that kind of sense of feeling. But then there's the other end of it where if that like completely cripples you mm. and you can't function and like I couldn't get up on Sunday because it is so significant, yeah. then obviously there's a place for you to obviously take a step out to look after yourself because it's clearly physically affecting you significantly. Mm. And I I think the wisdom part here isn't discovered by yourself. Mm. Um, So if the person who's, you know, sort of put this question here and it's a real thing for them here at Kellyville, Mm. I I think my encouragement would be to reach out to someone you trust for a convo to try and figure that out together because wisdom by myself very rarely ends up in what is good wisdom is just what I want mm. and bouncing it with trusted people who are invested in me, want to see what's what's good for me but uh, also have a broader perspective is helpful. Yeah. Yeah and I think it helps people who have a like a, a sensitive conscience like myself, I'll speak for as a lay person <laughs> around the table. Thank you. Um, is that like sometimes I think, well, um, I should I should do it, even though this is stressing me out and I'm anxious. I should I should just keep on persevering, and it will take talking to someone else to go back. You know what? There's been a lot going on for you. Maybe you should take a step back. That has been that has happened in my past. I have experienced significant ministry burnout, and did need to engage with a psychologist to work through that, and then to step back into ministries with better boundaries and. I will always be anxious. I stress about doing this podcast. I drive here Mm. going, oh, what am I going to (laughs) do? But because it's valuable to me and meaningful to me um, and an expression of my gifts that God's given to me, I I do persevere. But there was that season where I had to take a step back because I was just too broken. Good on you. Um, All right, James, you're up. (laughs) Speaking of anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) Been deliberately quiet. Yeah. Uh, what did I talk about? So I preached on Sunday um, and we looked at Colossians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 7. Uh, and so uh, we were kind of tying off the series um, with this being anchored in confidence. And for us, uh, on Sunday, we looked at uh, the confidence or the assurance that we can have uh, in persevering in the faith. Uh, and so we kind of looked at three big things that come out of that passage um, that we looked at. And so you know, it's important that uh, for us as Christians, we have a complete understanding uh, of who Jesus is. Um, and so Paul says that in those uh, earlier verses, in verses 2 and 3. And then we also looked at uh, the warning that Paul had for the church to be on guard. Uh, and similar for us today, that we too need to make sure that we're not going to be led astray by these found sounding arguments uh, that were Uh, being pushed at the church in uh, Colossae at the time um, and then finally for us to just be disciplined in our faith. And so there's several aspects that Paul um, spoke of there that we need to live our lives in him, be rooted up, built up in him, um, be strengthened in the faith and uh, also just be overflowing with thankfulness of our faith that we have. So that was the kind of the big topics in that. And so we talked about, um, because this will lead into the first question, Mm -hmm. about... uh, can a Christian fall away? Uh, and so we unpacked that and then the, the statement that was made was once saved, always saved, uh, that we can have that assurance that we have been saved. 
Uh, but it ties into the notion of kind of Christian like backslide in the faith and, and sort of head down a path where uh, their life isn't as godly uh, as it should be. Um, and then also for those that maybe once profess the faith uh, are no longer professing and if they get to the end of their life, what does that mean for them? And um, we looked at kind of it, what maybe that person wasn't actually a Christian in the first place. So they were the kind of the big things that we unpacked on Sunday. Mm, yeah, well, most of our questions are about that issue, actually. Yeah. Um, but the first question we have is, does Jesus love us no matter what? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, for those uh, that are his followers that love him, of course. Um, of course, Jesus loves us no matter what. Um, you know, we... Yeah, I think that stems out of the, if we backslide and start singing, sinning against him, does that mean that his love for us will turn away? Uh, well, no. You think of the story of the prodigal son uh, and like the, the son he left, spent all his money, squandered it, and then he comes back to the father and he throws his big party and opens him uh, and loves him with welcome arms. And so we can have that assurance that whilst we still uh, fall into moments of sin and we you know put ourselves in the place of God, that we can have that assurance that Jesus loves us. And we looked at that uh, from John 10 uh, that Jesus uh, cares for his sheep and no one will snatch them out of his hand. And so um, I think that's probably the, where that sort of comes from was that question. And so absolutely, uh, we can have that assurance that, that Jesus does love us uh, in that. So as, as followers of him, even though we might upset him <laughs> yeah. with our sinning against him. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, I think the answer is yes. Jesus Jesus does love us no matter what. Um, you know, what, what does John three sixteen say? God so loved the world. And I think that just means... The whole world, he, the, the the stance of God towards His creation is one of love, and He loves it. And I think the 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 prodigal son is really the place to go when thinking through this. Um, even if we do the most offensive thing we can imagine to God, um, He He is there like a father at home, waiting for us to come home. His stance towards us is one of love mm. through to the end. Um, Romans ten puts it a slightly different way. It says. All day long I've held out my hands to a hard heart and an obstinate people. That's God's attitude towards Israel, even when they're not giving us stuff about him. Mm. Um, his, his attitude to the world is one of love. Mm. Jesus loves me. This I know. This I know. Because the Bible tells me so. Amen. Trust it. Mm. Yeah. Good one. I was going to sing it, but yeah. I'm in the presence of the we can sing it. Yeah, actually, all three of us, three part, har- three part harmony, I'll play a C. Next time, maybe. Do you know it's that kind of podcast? Maybe, right. maybe it'll be jazzy with Dave's notes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. A few minor sevens. All right, let's take the spotlight off Dave's singing for a moment. Um, he can sing. I've, I've stood next to him. I, I wouldn't know. Um, okay, so our next three or four questions actually um, all have that same burden that you were talking yeah, about before, James. Totally. Um, so we'll, take, we'll try and take some of these questions together. Um, they hear the assurance in Once Saved, Always Saved that you spoke about on Sunday, but they are troubled by when Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And later he says, and and, and I'll say, I never knew you. Um, so that is, there is a chance that those who think they are Christians may discover too late that they are not. Um, so how can we be sure that we are truly saved? Our first questioner wonders if it is the sincerity of our actions, but acknowledges that even our intentions aren't always pure, um, even when we're trying to be. What assurance can you provide people wrestling with this? Is there anything tangible that helps us know um, that we are firm in our faith and secure? 
Yeah, like straight off the bat, um, I think I mentioned similar vein question at 10.30 and 6.15 about the work of the Spirit in our lives and seeing the fruit of that um, as the Spirit works in us, making us more and more in the image of of Jesus as we seek to live as his people. And so I think there would be that we we should see in our own lives that fruit happening, Um, the way that we think about things, the way that we do things, um, as Christians and as followers of Jesus. Um, but I had a conversation with someone after 6.15 and he, he was sharing with me about, you know, when we, when we love someone and we want to please them, uh, we want to we change our whole lives to do that for them. And so if we truly grasp who Jesus is and if we truly love Jesus, then our response to him is that we want to be able to please our Lord and Saviour and live lives in obedience to what he has called us to do in his word. And so you should see changes in your behavior, your thinking and your life that reflect what the scriptures have called us to do. And we do that not because we think of it as like a religious rule book and we have to follow these rules. We don't do that out of we have to, you know, but rather because we want to because of what Jesus has done for us. We want to please him. And so... I think in and of yourself, if, if your concern is that, you know, you get to the end and you uh, are not wanting to be one of those people from Matthew 7, um, the fact that you're wrestling with this question tells me that I think you're going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I think it's more, I think it was more about they may have uh, in May, Matthew 7 uh, from an outward perspective showing that, but from an inward, absolutely not. They, mm. they weren't. And so for you, as you wrestle with this in your own personal life, you're showing that you you love Jesus and that you want to make sure that that you follow him and that you do have that assurance and the scriptures give us that the assurance that we have in our salvation like I just mentioned again um, in John 10 um, that that we're, we're good like God's got us and you know he will um, our perseverance is God's as God perseveres in his love towards us we can persevere in our love towards him and so yeah, I think we should be seeing fruit from our lives uh, and the changes of how we once lived before we were saved uh, to how we live now. And I think if you look back on your life then and now, I think you will be, God willing, pleasantly surprised about what how, how you're actually going about in the faith these days. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, th- this, this doctrine that's sometimes spoken of as kind of... Um, uh, Eternal salvation, the idea of, um, that's not the term, it's just gone out of my head. The perseverance of the saints, right? This idea that yes. if you are saved, you are saved. Yep. Um, has to be true because God doesn't hand us something with one hand and then take it back with the other. If a person is genuinely saved, then they will be saved. Um, and I think the, the key verse in understanding, well, what about apostasy? What about people who fall away? Is that one in First John 2 where he describes those who looked like they were, were part of us? Um, but they proved that they actually weren't of us when, when they walked away. I, I think that is the key to, to unlocking how we understand those cases of people falling away. Um, yeah, therein is the importance of, of testing our own hearts, really. Yeah, Yeah, and passages like Matthew 7, you know, which we, we looked at last year, mm. uh, where Jesus says, you know, you know I, I, I never knew you. Um, oh, uh, sorry, I just dropped my phone. Um uh, it also comes in the context, right, um, where Jesus is talking about false and true prophets, uh, people who you know seem to be doing things in the name of Jesus, but what they lack is Jesus himself by the, by the sounds of it. Uh, and there's a warning there and there's a context 
from which we need to understand um, rather than make just the jump to go, maybe that could be me. Maybe I'll live my life trying to live out as a Christian, but I'll get to the very end and he'll just say, actually, I've forgotten your name or whatever. Like you're, mm. I didn't, I never knew you. Uh, I think that's a slight exegetical error uh, in terms of how we apply that and what that looks like. Mm. Uh, in the same way that the um, uh, warning passages in Hebrews uh, are, are there for us uh, to take them as they're supposed to be read, as warning passages. And you go, oh, boy, like, you know, like any warning sign where you go to the Blue Mountains, there's a barrier and it says cliff edge, right? Um, the wise and, you know, thing to do is to go, oh, there's a cliff edge. I won't jump over the barrier. I'll obey this. That's what the mm. warning passages are doing mm. uh, for us um, to say don't go that way of apostasy. Don't go mm. that way of, you know, keep, you know, walking with Jesus. Yeah. Uh, the the whole way through, and I think uh, there's there's sort of a, I think we may have spoken about it in the past, but some people need to hear very strongly, you're saved, you're good. Yeah. Stop stressing. Yeah, that Romans Stop eight confidence. Fretting. Nothing like you, can the, separate you. You've got yeah. it exactly. Yeah. Others of us need to hear. Come on, mate. This 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 means something to you. Like work hard. At putting to death the things of the flesh, mm. um, you know. Otherwise, you know, what, what, what do you actually believe? Mm. Um, yeah, so, and it's, it's yeah. not as though people falling away is some awkward thing that we now, as pastors, have to kind of deal with. That the Bible wasn't sure was ever going to happen. We're, we're told to expect that people can fake it. People can mm. claim the name of Christ and, and do all the things that look Christian without believing it in their hearts. Uh, so this is not some kind of awkward thing we have to cover up. The, the Bible actually expects that to be yeah. the case. We're told mm. to expect that this will take place. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess to pull some of these threads together, <laughs> yeah. um, the tangible assurance that we can have, well, it's that Scripture says that we are yeah. saved, we are yep. safe in the Father's inescapable hand. Um, but on the other hand, um, Scripture also says that when we um, enact God's law and we we show the fruit of the Spirit and we aim to cultivate that fruit of the Spirit, that that's actually evidence of the Holy Spirit in us, um, which is itself an assurance. So it feels like the Venn diagram between those two groups of people, mm. the people who need assurance and the people who don't, who think they're fine, is actually to cultivate um, the Christian life and to mm. follow Jesus. Because if yep. you think that you're doing it fine, then you probably need to self-evaluate a bit more um does that make sense like yeah. i think i think that and the, the question one of the questions was um uh what are your thoughts on the idea that some believe that if you're not bearing fruit then you aren't a christian i think we've kind of talked about yeah. that as well tied it up yeah and, and i think i think on that um even like just uh i'm no green thumb uh but my observation of trees this is is they don't produce fruit all year round. Yeah. Sometimes good trees have no fruit on them, but yet they are still firmly planted in the soil. Mm. And so if a tree doesn't bear fruit all year round, can we make that sort of, you know, there are times in my life where I might not see the fruit blossoming, you know, um, it might just be a little seed that's sitting on the edge of the tree uh, waiting to sort of 
you know, come through in its good timing. Mm. And so yeah. I, I think there's also some confidence rather than just write it off and go, I see no fruit now. Well, let's just keep yeah. cultivating. Well, keep James going. talked about the trajectory of the Christian life. Yeah, there's ups okay. and downs and yeah. at the end of the day you're still a tree. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Your identity <laughs> as a tree is secure. <laughs> Um, all right, so um, a last question kind of in regards to this aspect um, is how do we translate all of this to day-to-day Christian living, that tension between those two extremes, am I saved, am I not saved? Um, what, what does this look like day-to-day? Yeah, um, I shared just from Romans 12.1 um, thinking about our lives and how we're to live them in, in light of what we know Um Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Uh, This is your true and proper worship. And so uh, everything that we do should be for the glory of God, Um, whether that's how we go about our work and being honoring to our boss and being... um, and working, working well in that and, and um, loving our, our fellow colleagues or even at schools as we study and, and working hard in that space. I think everything we do can bring honor to God and I think it's important for us to be thinking that way um, in whatever context that we're in uh, is to think about how can I in these medial things, or it might seem medial for you if you're stuck at school and you, know, you don't like it, how can I honor God or how can I um, be an example of Christ in this? And maybe that is showing love and respect to your teacher even though you don't like them. Like there's just little things like that that people might see unnoticed but you know, you're doing that as a follower of Jesus to honor him and to, to honor God in that yeah. moment. So, yeah. I think cultivating a habit of daily repentance and confession is mm. very important. I'm I'm not spiritually concerned for the person who comes to me and said, I don't know if I'm a real Christian. There's all this sin in my life. I'm praying to God every day for his help with it. And I'm mm. doing as much as I can to 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 mature in it. Um that that person is in the right place. It's the person who has given up on the habit of confessing their sin or acknowledging their sin yeah. that I have concerns for their yeah. heart and their faith. Yeah. That's helpful. All right, last question. Um, What about ministers of the churches who give up the faith? Maybe they weren't actually saved in the first place, which brings up two things. If they are able to fall away, my confidence that I'm a Christian and won't fall away is pretty rocky. The ministers clearly didn't ever expect to be that person either. What's to say that I think I'm a Christian but I actually will eventually be that person who falls away? Hopefully some of our discussion has, has helped with that. Mm. The second thought is how can I trust anyone in ministry over me if they might think they are a Christian but then fall away because they aren't actually? Yeah, we're all human. Yeah. We all make mistakes. We're still affected by sin. And whilst we strive to live lives in accordance to what God's called us to, there will be moments where we do stuff up and Things happen and gradually will fall away. Um, I think a lot of this does tie into the individual and their heart and why. Um, you know, in the in the Anglican circles, uh, there is a very thorough process in which ministers are vetted and I'm currently going through it. Mm-hmm. Um, I initiated a conversation in 2022 maybe 
No, one. It was before you started. So it would have been mid-2021 and I've been going through that process and uh, at this point uh, I'll be on schedule to be ordained in February 2025. Mm. And so I think there's there's assurances in the ministers that are here at this church that they have been uh, checked and uh, well looked over uh, for their suitability for serving and loving and caring for a congregation. That doesn't mean that you know, they don't fall away. We know of ministers that have fallen away who have um, have left the faith and we know of others that have grievously sinned and have stood down from ministry. Um, but I think we can always lean back into the words of God and what he, we've been speaking about over the, the last sort of 10 minutes about this is that our assurance is in what God is doing in us and the assurance that we can trust in his saving work in us. And I think it's just coming back to God uh, and trusting in him uh, and his word that he has given us that we can have that assurance. And so whilst there are moments where, you know, you might be rocked by those that have fallen away, um, you know, be grateful that your salvation is not in the minister, but it's actually yeah. in an eternal God that That's loves right. you and cares for you. Um, and so whilst it is, and whilst it is sad and, and is hurtful and devastating uh, when those things happen, um, yeah, we just have to rely on God's grace and God's goodness in both um, their life as they seek to, you know, work out what's happened um, from their side of things. If it's been sin in their lives, not necessarily denouncing the faith. Um, and same for us as we walk uh, as fellow Christians. And so that would be my, my two cents. Mm-hmm. There's a rightness and wrongness to this question uh, in terms of the implication behind it is, uh, you know, uh, those who are ministers of the gospel uh, sort of been held in, in a certain regard in terms yeah. of, you know, their, their strength of their faith. Uh, and I, I think there's, there's, there's a rightness and a wrongness to that. And I think James has highlighted the, the wrongness to it to go, hey, look, we're, we're fellow travellers mm. uh, on the road to heaven. Um, but there's a rightness to it. And Paul highlights that uh, in certain aspects where you know, he talks about the qualifications of what it means uh, to be, and I think there's a rightness to the faith uh, in as a minister because essentially your job is a Christian, but it's a Christian in public. Mm. Um, people see, people watch, and people go, "Hey, look! If if you know, there's a certain of if you can't do that, what hope do I have?" Like, and I think there's probably a rightness to the modelling that goes on uh, in that. Um, but as as fellow travellers, but right now, I think you know. Um, you know, the, the second question, how can I trust anyone if they might fall away? Well, right now, none of us are falling away. Mm-hmm. So you can trust us. Yep. Um, and even if we did, I think James's point of, your, you know, the confidence is in who God is, not in, in who we are. Yeah. And to add to the even if we did, um, I think the <laughs> in God's goodness of bringing good out of bad situations, even the ministry of experience under someone who may eventually fall away can be a beneficial ministry to you, right? Yeah, the blessing um, is real. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I can. I, you know, I thought yeah. an example of that, but it's probably yeah. not appropriate. Should. Yeah, I an example, <laughs> but it's church history sacraments, so I won't go there. Also, we're <laughs> hour and ten. We're at an hour and ten, so we're we're going to wrap things up. I hope that was helpful for your question, but yeah, it don't trust anyone as much as you trust Jesus. <laughs> yeah. In okay. any case. Um, so that does bring us to the end of our questions. What is happening this Sunday? Yes, uh, this Sunday. Uh, it's a one-off Sunday uh, before we head into Matthew. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to look at Acts 1, 1 to 11. 
uh, and it's uh, an opportunity to put our vision uh, of the sort of church we want to be under God uh, before us uh, as a group of people uh, and just share a little bit about where we're going, what's been happening at church. Uh, and uh, I started just listing off, you know, um, what are some of the good things that have been happening. It's a really long list. I don't know if I'll share them all because at some point someone will want me to stop. Um, <laughs> probably me. Yeah, probably, probably <laughs> but Dave, we're running out of time. Um, what are you doing? Um, and so, uh, but the, the sort of the in, impact that I really want us to go and understand is in the same way Jesus says to his disciples gathered, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Hmm. Nothing's changed. Hmm. Yeah, Dave was telling me about his sermon prep the other day. I'm really looking forward to hearing it. Yeah. Sounds like one not to be missed. So thank you for joining us for our longest podcast ever. And we hope to see you on Sunday. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'd love you to join us at Kellyville Anglican any Sunday at 8.30, 10.30 or 6.15pm. You can find out more information at www.ka.church. So come join us and see for yourself what is said on Sunday.